series going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we are in the, the final stretch here. Next week will be our, our last week in the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel like this has been a, a really, really encouraging, if it hasn't been for you, it's been for me. And uh, it's been an encouraging and a challenging uh, series. And hopefully it's been a series that has, that has opened your eyes to what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that, that you have a better understanding of what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, and I would encourage you to bring your Bibles, right? We're a church. I know some of you, you have your Bibles on your phone and that is fine. But bring your Bibles with you or bring it on your phone or whatever you need to do so you can follow along with what we're talking about so you don't just take our word for it, right? It is God's word and we want you to, to know God's word yourself. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13 through 23 this morning. And I feel like this part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at over this week and next week is really, it's kind of like the closing remarks of Jesus' sermon. This is kind of where he's bringing the application points together, right? He's, he's kind of bringing it home. He's landing the plane. He's, he's kind of drawing everything together and painting a picture. And what we're going to look at today in these verses is we've talked repeatedly about this kingdom of God throughout this sermon. Jesus talked repeatedly about his, his kingdom. And what does it look like to be a part of this kingdom? And this portion of scripture that we're looking at today, Jesus is going to paint a very clear picture of what does it look like to enter into his kingdom? What does it look like to enter into the kingdom of heaven? So what I want to do is I want to read these verses and then we're going to take some time to break them down. Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 23 says this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. For the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Let's, let's open with prayer this morning. Father, we invite you into this place right now. God, I ask right now that over these next few moments as we explore your words, that, that it would be your words and not my words. God, that you would show us any areas where you would like to speak to us today. God, that you would reveal any areas where we have blind spots in our relationship with you. God, that you would open our, our hearts and our minds to receive what you want to speak to us today. Let us leave here knowing who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's four things that Jesus kind of talks about in this portion of scripture that I want to explore this morning when it comes to entering the kingdom. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to jump right in. The first thing is simply this. We need to make sure when it comes to entering the kingdom of heaven that we choose the right path and the right gate. Look at those first few words again. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through 
the narrow gate. Jesus starts with the very first words declaring that there is only one gate, one way to enter into God's kingdom, which completely goes against the mindset that you hear about in our world today, right? In our world today, it's, it's just all paths lead to the same place. All roads lead to heaven. There's many different gods and many different truths, and you just kind of live your truth and speak your truth and do what makes you happy. And at the end, it's all going to lead to the same place. But from the very first words that Jesus speaks here, he takes that myth and he, and he flips it upside down. He flips the script on that. And Jesus is essentially saying from these very first words that your eternal destiny, right, where you spend your entire eternity and how you even live on this life, it comes down to to one path and one gate that you enter through. And we talk about all of these different paths and all of these different roads and, and all these different things, but the truth is there's only two according to Jesus. Look at those verses again. He says, you can, he says, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus, he lays out and describes these two different paths, these two different roads, these two different gates that we can travel. And what is the, the end result of traveling those paths? And the first one, he talks about the broad road, the wide road, the wide gate. And when he talks about that, what does he say? He said, this is an easy road to find. Just imagine for a second, how many of you, you you've seen like I-95, four lanes, right? It's easy to spot. It's easy to get frustrated when you're driving that road, but it's also nice when you're traveling a long trip because you can just kind of put it in cruise control, right? And, and you can go slightly faster than the speed limit. If it suggests 70, that means you can go 79 before you get pulled over, from what, I, from what I've heard. Um, not 80. Uh, it's nice and easy to travel, right? It's much harder to travel on that, that small road. It's a lot harder to recognize that little back road at times, that little back path. And what he's saying is the same as true. He says this, this one path, it's easy to find, it's easy to see, it's a lot easier to, to kind of find this path than to find the other path. You don't have to do much to find yourself on this path. The Bible says that all of us are on this path from the moment that we're born, because we're born sinful. I don't know if you know that, but you're born with a sin nature. The Bible says that we are sinners from nature, from birth, and by choice. We, we are born sinners, but we also choose sin and rebellion, and so we naturally find ourselves on this, this road. It's the the road that's easier to find. Not only that, though, it's also the road that is more crowded. It's the path of the crowd. It's the way of the world, the, the way of sin and chasing after our own sinful desires. And all you have to do to find yourself on this road or to be on this road is to simply continue to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Just continue to, to live like everybody else, look like everybody else, be like everybody else in the crowd. You just continue to kind of do that and you easily walk down this road because it's the road that you see constantly the crowd. And another thing that Jesus says about this road is it's also a road that is deceptive. Because it looks easy, and it looks more fun, and there's more of a crowd there, so it looks like the right direction to go. But ultimately, it's deceptive because in the end, he says, it leads to destruction. It leads to death and separation for eternity from leads to hell. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 14 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a person... But its end is the way of death. There's a path that seems right. There's a path that seems easy. There's a path that seems more comfortable. That wide road, that's how it feels at times. There's a path that you look at and you go, okay, everybody's going that direction. That might be the, the right way to go. It looks easy. It looks good. But its end is destruction. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And again, the world says that all roads ultimately lead to heaven. But it's actually the opposite. What Jesus said is that all roads lead to hell except for one. 
all roads lead to hell except for one. And so we can choose to go down the easy path. We can choose to go through the wide gate. We can choose to follow along with the crowd. We can choose to, to enjoy the easy life, to walk the easy path, to chase after our sinful desires, to chase after our flesh, to do the easy things. We can choose that or God gives us an alternate way. You don't have to choose that path that leads to destruction. There's another path and another gate that we can walk through. It's a harder path to travel, he says. It's a much more narrow gate to enter through, but it's worth it because ultimately this is the path that leads to real life. This is the path that leads to true life. So Jesus talks about this narrow path and this narrow gate. Why do you think Jesus explains it that way? Why do you think he refers to it as the, the narrow gate, the narrow path? It's because of this, right? There's two things. First, it's a narrow gate because there's only one way through. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. Even Jesus, he declared this about himself in the Bible. In John 14, 6, this is what Jesus said. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm, I'm one of the ways. All paths lead to heaven. I'm one of the ways you can go. If you want to choose the path through Jesus, if you want to find life, I'm one way that you can find life. I am one of the truths, but there's many truths. Just speak your truth. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through him. That's what he declares about himself. Now listen, people often will say, I don't think Jesus was God, but I think he was a good teacher. Can I tell you something? If you claim to be the only way to heaven, you're no longer a good teacher. You're either who you say you are or you're a crazy person. If there's ever a time that I'm up here or anybody else is up here and we claim to be God, that's a time where you should walk out and leave, right? Because we've gone from being a church who preaches the gospel to a cult and we don't want you to be a part of a cult, right? We'd be passing out different Kool-Aids and stuff like that. Like we don't, so Jesus is either who he says he is who is the way, the truth, and the life, or he is a liar, but there's no in-between there. There's no place for him to be just a good teacher. He is, is either God, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to heaven except through him, or he is a crazy person. But you got to make the choice. What do you believe he is? Do you believe he is who he says he is? And it's not the only time Jesus said something like that. In John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10, Jesus said it like this. He said, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The gate is narrow because... It's only through Jesus that we can enter through into his kingdom. He's the only one who can save us from our sins because he was the only one who willingly laid down his life for our sins in our place. And not only did he lay down his life in our place, but he also overcame death so that we could experience everlasting, eternal life. Listen, no amount of self-righteousness or good deeds are enough for you to enter through that gate. It's only through Jesus. But it's not... The only reason that he says it's a narrow gate, not just because it's only through him. The other reason he says it's a narrow gate, a narrow path, is because this path requires repentance, self-denial, submission, and obedience. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16. He said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet he loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? The narrow road is not easy 
Because following Jesus often requires obedience. It requires repentance, which means turning from our own way and turning to Christ. It requires self-denial, as he says, carrying your cross, denying yourself, carrying your cross and, and following Jesus. Jesus also says that to follow him means there's going to be times where you go through persecution. We look at the life of Jesus, he was persecuted. His followers were persecuted. You look at the early church, many of them died giving up their lives. We have this, this much smaller idea of persecution in America. I'm being persecuted for my faith. Somebody made fun of me. That's not persecution. Persecution. There's people who, who are really experiencing persecution in our world who are really making a choice. Do you believe in Jesus? And if you say yes to that, that means you might lose your life. Your, your family might lose their lives. There's a, a difference. He says there's times where you might face actual real persecution for following Jesus. It's not easy. It's not the easy path. It's a narrow road because as a Christian, you're called to follow Christ and be obedient to his teaching. When you walk the, the wide road, you can do whatever you want. You can live however you please. There's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as right and wrong. Chase after your own pleasure. Chase after your own desires. Who am I to speak anything to God? But when we make the choice to go through the narrow gate and we walk down the narrow road, we no longer are living for our own pleasure. We're choosing to live for God's pleasure and God's glory. It's a difficult road to follow. That's why the narrow road is so hard. How many of you would be honest at times and say, you, you don't really like anybody telling you what to do? Anybody? Anybody a little bit, let's just be, let's have some time. Anybody in here a little bit controlling? How many of you, when you drive, you're a little bit, like that's when you see, like, like I'll be honest, I cannot think of a time <clears throat> when Tiffany and I have drove somewhere when she has drove. It feels weird. It's not had anything to do with her driving ability. She's probably a better driver than me. But I think I'm a better driver than her. <laughs> and I'm not going to sleep in the passenger seat while she's driving. I'm just not. I'm not going to relax. I'm going to be pushing the fake brake pedal. And I'm going to be giving her directions from the side on all the things she's not doing right. Because I'm a control freak. And some of us are like that in our lives too. We like the idea of Jesus saving us from our sins, right? That sounds great. We don't go to hell, that's a better option. We like the idea of, of him forgiving us, but we don't really like the idea of, of giving him the lordship, the keys to the life, our life, right? Like, Jesus, listen, you did your part, you saved me, but I'm just going to drive from here. You just, listen, I, I know you're probably a better driver than me, and you probably could drive the, the course of my life better than me, but I think, I th listen, I'll just take the wheel from here. We have a hard time giving up control, giving up surrender. And that's why I think Jesus says so few find it because it's a path of, of choosing to, to surrender and to submit to his lordship and his leadership in our, our lives. And he says, listen, from the very beginning, he says there's only one way into the kingdom of heaven. There's only one road you can travel. There's not many roads. There's not many paths. There's one road and one gate. And it's narrow and it's difficult, but it's the only one that truly leads to life. So choose the right path and the right gate. The second thing he talks about is we need to make sure that we're, we're following the right influences. You know, all of us have people in our lives who, who influence the direction that we go. They influence the trajectory that we go with our lives. And in these next couple of verses, Jesus reminds us to make sure that we're careful 
to follow the right type of people, that we're careful with those people that we allow to have that influence because ultimately the people that we give influence in our lives, the people that we follow in our lives, they're leading us towards one of these paths. They're leading us one of these directions, either the path towards the narrow gate, the narrow path, or they're leading us away from the things of God. So we need to be careful who we allow to influence us. In verse 15 he says it like this, beware of false prophets, false teachers, who come disguised as harmless sheep but are actually, are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is by the way they act. Jesus says these people, they, they claim to be followers of Christ. They pretend to be sheep. They pretend to be uh, people who are all about God's people and God's glory. But while they look like sheep, while they wear a sheep costume, on the outside they may look okay, on the inside, they're actually terrifying, vicious wolves that are not leading you towards God's blessing and God's goodness. They're actually leading you towards the path that's going to ultimately lead to destruction. He says you need to beware. You need to have discernment when it comes to those people. This is a warning, listen, to make sure that the spiritual leaders in your life, those people that, that are in spiritual authority, people that are pastors and teachers and things like that, that, that they are true. That they speak the truth of God's word. This is a, a warning even to us as pastors and leaders. In the Bible it says not everybody should want to be a pastor and leader. This is one of the scariest verses for, for me at times. Because it says that we will be judged more harshly. That we're going to be judged not just for the way we live our lives, but we're also going to be judged for what we teach and the direction that we lead you guys. That we need to make sure that we're speaking truth. And what Jesus is saying here is you need to make sure that the people that you choose to sit under, the people that you choose to sit under as a pastor of a church, the people that you choose to listen to on podcasts and, and pastors that you choose to follow and listen to their sermons or whatever else, or the worship that you listen to, whatever it is, that you make sure that those people in those positions, that you give that, that place of spiritual authority, that they are leading you towards the right path and not towards destruction, that they are actually sheep and not wolves in disguise. And all throughout Scripture we see these warnings. Now if you notice this, you can read throughout the New Testament, you'll see warning after warning after warning to have discernment when it comes to false teachers, false prophets. And that as time goes on, as, as the end times become closer and closer, Jesus returns, becomes closer and closer, it's only going to get worse. There's going to be more and more false teachers and false prophets and false messiahs that we need to be able to discern who is real and who is not. In 2 Timothy, Paul says it like this, he says... In, verse, in chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, he says, For a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss. There's a time that's coming where people will, will just chase after people who are just going to tell them what they want to hear, who will speak easy truths, half-truths, who will be really, really encouraging and challenging, but will ultimately lead you straight to hell. Because they don't preach the truth of the gospel. They don't preach the truth of God's word. They just, they just tickle your ears a little bit. And you leave going, man, that was really good. That was really, really encouraging. Can I tell you, it's, it's a good thing at times to leave church a little bit beat up as a Christian. Like some of the best times in my walk with the Lord were when I left church and I felt, I felt a little bit beat up. Not completely down, but I felt like I took a gut punch. I came face to face with an area in my life that was not as it should be, and the Lord used his word to show that and reveal that. Not the times where I leave every single week and I go, man, that was so good. I feel so encouraged. God's going to bless me. He's going to multiply. I'm going to have a Lamborghini in my driveway when I leave. That's what the pastor said. Name it and claim it. 
We need to beware. We need to watch out. We need to make sure that the people that we are allowing to speak into our lives as spiritual leaders are people who are true. And what does Jesus say? Not only does he warn us about this, but he tells us how we can make sure that we're, we're doing that, how we can make sure that we're following the right people. He says, you will know them by their fruit, by the actions of their life. And so what are some things we can look for in those people that are speaking into our lives? Well, Someone claims to speak, to speak for God, if they, carry, they can carry a Bible, they can stand behind a pulpit, they can enjoy popularity among other Christians and teachers, they might even publish books, speak at conferences. We have to ask ourselves, is this person for real? Is this person a true follower of Christ? Ultimately what we should be asking is, is this person a voice that is going to help me and lead me towards the narrow path, the narrow gate. Are they teaching the gospel in a way that's going to help me be who God has called me to be? Or are they leading me away from that? Or are they teaching a false gospel? We have, to ask, we have to look at the fruit of their lives. Is what they're teaching, is what, what we're teaching, is it in line with the truth of Scripture? See, sometimes people will take Scripture and we will use it for our advantage or to teach our opinions. This is why it's so important for you as far as of Christ to actually read your word. To actually read the Bible for yourselves, not to just sit here and, and believe everything that every single person, person says. You're, you're called to hold us accountable as well. And you need to read your word and know God's word so you know. Make sure that we're preaching the truth of God's word. That we're not preaching a false gospel or, or, or a gospel that is different than the truth of God's word. You're called to use discernment. And listen, this doesn't mean that you're malicious and you walk around with a critical spirit all the time. Because some people, they think that's their spiritual gift. So I listen to people and I'm just going to pick out one thing they say and I'm going to tear apart every other thing they've said because they said one thing, not the right way. Can I tell you, there's probably been many times that I've said something maybe not the right way. You've been here long enough, you'll know. Sometimes the filter does not work appropriately. It's broken. I'm just, I'm, I'm saying that, that you should... Be able to, to, to make sure that we're speaking the truth of God's word and, and have a discerning spirit with who you allow to speak into your life. And then not only that, what's their life like? Is their life consistent with what they preach, especially if they're preaching God's word? Is it consistent with God's word? Do they practice what they preach? Not are they perfect. Because there's nobody that's perfect. If being perfect was a requirement, then none of us would be able to say anything to anybody because we all fall short. Not if we're perfect. In fact, if you come here long enough, you'll hear all the ways that we're not perfect. We're pretty open about the areas that we struggle with. So we want you to understand that. But are we practicing what we preach? Are we living our lives that are in a legit way? Are we walking with Christ the way that we, we preach? Those are things that you should be asking. Those are things that you should be discerning in your life when it comes to the spiritual leaders. Now, he's not just talking about the spiritual leaders that are in your life. He's also talking about anybody in your life that has influence. Those friends that you allow to have the most influence in your life. That you have to be careful. I heard somebody say like this, you show me your friends and I'll show you your, your future. Because ultimately the people that you, go, that you have in your life that have the most influence, not just your, you know, co-workers and other people that you're just kind of friends with. I'm talking those deep personal friendships and relationships. That those people that you choose to have, that you allow to have that kind of relational uh, influence in your life, that you need to make sure that those are people who are going towards and going down the same path that you want to go as well. Because ultimately they're going to lead you one way or another. In 2 Timothy, Paul, he also gives this warning. He says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. What does that look like? That looks like a person who goes to church. Every single week maybe even. There's a form of godliness there. But the power of transformation in their life is not there. Holding to a form of godliness. But tonight is power. What does he say? He says, avoid these people. Don't allow them to be the greatest influences in your life. We also need to use discernment. Not just with the spiritual leaders that we sit under. But also with our friends and the people that we allow to have the most influence. on. Are they people who are following Jesus? Are they people who have entered through that narrow gate, that are walking that narrow path, that are living lives that are different, that are set apart, that are going in a direction spiritually that you want to go, that you desire to go? Or are they people who are leading you away from God's purpose and away from God's desires for your life? The next thing Jesus talks about when he talks about entering the kingdom is this, that we need to make sure that we produce the right fruit. Jesus continues by not just talking about watching the fruit of other people's lives, because we're good at that, right? We're good at identifying, we talked about this when we talked about judging, we're good at identifying all the things in other people's life that aren't as they should be. We're often not as good at identifying the things in our own life that are not as they should be. So he doesn't just talk about watching other people's lives for the fruit of their lives, but he also talks about the fruit in our own lives and that we need to be producing the right fruit. In verse 17 through 20, he says, a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown to the fire. Yes, you can identify, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. You can identify what kind of tree something is based on the fruit that is produced by it. You don't go up to an apple tree and pick an apple and go, man, this is a really nice, like, grapevine. That's not, that's not a grapevine. That's an, an apple tree, right? Because like, you can tell what something is based on what is produced in their life. And the same should be true for us as far as Christ. It should be spiritually impossible for us to actually follow Jesus, to truly surrender our lives to Jesus, to walk that narrow path and enter through that narrow gate and have it not impact or affect the way that we live our lives. The fruit of our lives should look drastically different. And so if you're truly following Jesus, then your life is going to bear the fruit of a life that is following Jesus. You're going to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things will be produced, begin to be produced in your life as you walk submitted to the Holy Spirit. There's going to be spiritual growth. That doesn't mean spiritual perfection. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect or arrive. You won't arrive on this side of eternity, but... Is your life looking different now than when you first started following Jesus? Is there growth? Is there growth in your spiritual walk with the Lord? Is there growth in your life? There's going to be areas in your life where you're going to see obedience to Christ and his words. All of these fruits will be things that are, are growing out of your life as you walk as a follower of Jesus. And listen, it's only possible through Jesus. 
This isn't possible through your own strength. It's not possible through your own desires. You can't just make yourself be holy and make yourself be worthy. Because even if your outside actions look okay, what we've discovered as we've looked at this sermon is your outward actions can look good because the motives of your heart can be messed up. Just like the Pharisees, they, they look good on the outside. They were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look clean. But on the inside, they were full of death and decay. He's not talking about just our outer actions. He's talking about our motives, the transformation in our heart that will ultimately lead to God doing work in through our actions. And only we can really determine if that's true in our lives. Because we know our hearts. We know our motives. We know if they're right. But it's only possible through Jesus, which is why Jesus gives us this picture of how we can produce the right type of fruit in our lives in John 15. One of Jesus' favorite uh, famous I am statements. We already looked at one, I am the gate. But Jesus also says this, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. The only way that we can produce the right type of fruit is if we continue to have the right connection. Continue to have the right connection. The only way that we produce the right fruit is when we stay continually connected to the vine that is Jesus. Because he is ultimately the one that continues to do the work in our lives to produce the right things out of our lives. As we surrender to him, submit to him, follow his leading and his lordship in our lives, he produces the right fruit in us. And sometimes, listen, sometimes having the right connection... And producing the right fruit, it requires pruning in our lives. And pruning is not always fun. How many of you experience that in your life? Pruning is not always fun. And sometimes, if we're honest, pruning is painful. Because sometimes it means, it means that there's things that are cut off. There's areas in our lives that need to be cut off. Sins that, that Jesus shows us and reveals to us. That there's areas in our lives that we walk in. He says that needs to be removed so that you can bear the right type of fruit. That's stopping you. It's holding you back from, from being fruitful in your life. It could be relationships sometimes. You settled for a relationship, a friendship, a person in your life that you've given influence that is, that is keeping you from being fruitful. And sometimes it requires removing that relationship or, or cutting back that relationship a little bit so that you can be more fruitful, so you can do what God has called you to do. But it's not just the, the, the cutting off, so to speak. Pruning also is on the good branches at times. There's, there's times where even when something is fruitful, they will, they will prune it, they will cut back things on it so that it's more fruitful. And some of us, we, we're, we're, we're fine a lot of times when it comes to like the things that we know we need to remove. Okay, we can do that, God, remove that. But sometimes in our lives we settle for good things when God wants to do even greater things. And we settle for good things. And there's times that even in those good things that, that God wants to say, okay, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing in your life, but I want it to be even better. I want to do even more through your life. And so I'm going to need to even cut back some of those good things that you've settled for so that I can do even greater things. And ultimately, the reason God wants us to be fruitful is because it brings glory to God when we live fruitful lives. When our lives are fruitful, when we do what we're created to do, when we bear fruit through our lives that shows that we are truly followers of Christ, that people can see in the way that we live and in our actions that we truly are followers of Jesus, it brings glory to God. And so he wants us to live fruitful lives. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I producing the right fruit. What is the result of my life? What is the result of the way I live? Is my life different? 
And then the last thing when it comes to entering the kingdom, and that is this. We need to make sure that we examine ourselves the right way. These last couple of verses are some of the more humbling, and if I'm being honest, kind of terrifying verses in the Bible. They're, they're verses that, like, they're just hard to hear and hard to understand and a little bit scary at times. In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. These verses, they should stand as a, as a warning to us to make sure that we are continually examining ourselves, examining our hearts to make sure that our faith is real. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, it says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? In other words, he's saying, look at your life. Look at your life. He's not, he's not teaching us that, that he wants us to walk around constantly in doubt. Some of us, we struggle with that. Am I really saved? Am I really changed? Am I, like we struggle with that and we live our whole lives not knowing. He's not saying he wants us to not be confident in our calling, confident in the fact that God has saved us. He wants us to look at our lives and ask ourselves a question, am I really a follower of Christ? Am I truly a follower of Christ? Am I really in? And Jesus, he talks about two things that, that alone do, cannot save us in, in these verses. He says, no, for the first thing he says, that words alone are not enough to save you. Because these people, they addressed him as Lord, and yet Jesus still turns them away. And I want you to understand that words are important, that we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven without a, a confession of faith, a confession that Jesus is Lord. But words alone cannot save you. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But we have to understand that just a verbal confession in and of itself is not enough. And this confession that Jesus is talking about here is, is what we would call an empty confession. They're empty words. There's many people who say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents went to church. They were Christians. You know, I don't know what the exact percentage is now, but a few years back it was like 80% or something ridiculous of people in America who would, who would claim to be a follower of Christ. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Now it's probably a little bit lower, somewhere between 60 and 70%, but it's still a very, very high number. When you look at our world, does, does our country, does it look like Jesus? No. Why? Because there's lots of people who have made a profession of faith, a confession of Jesus' lordship, but they've actually never surrendered and submitted to his lordship in their life. And there is a massive difference. some point we're going to stand before the Lord and, Lord, you're Lord. Yeah, you're Lord. And he's going to say, well, you can say that I'm Lord, but you never actually allowed me to be Lord of your life. It's not enough to just say he is Lord. Is he your Lord? Is he your leader? Is he the shepherd and in charge of your life? Have you actually submitted to his lordship? And not only that, though, he also says that good works alone are not enough to save you. These people not only presented their words that they said he was lord, they also presented their good works. They said, look, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. These people not only talked the right talk, but they had an impressive track record as well. And these were not just ordinary things, right? These weren't just like ordinary, I mean like, these are some big things. Prophesied in your name. That means they were preaching or speaking truth, telling other people in Jesus' name. 
Cast out demons. Listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think I've ever cast out a demon. Ever. I've, I thought a couple times that one of my children might have needed it. You've been there if you had a toddler. But I've never actually cast a demon out that I know of. There's been times where I've seen people and I've, and I've thought to myself that what was going on in their life was probably a little bit more than, than what met the eye. But this is people who have, who have done exorcism, cast out demons, and not only that, they perform miracles in Jesus' name. That's an, imp- uh, an impressive, can we agree that that is an impressive list? That's an impressive uh, 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 amount of good deeds and good actions. You would think if any good deeds and any good actions would be enough to get you in, doing these things would be it. And he says, at the same time, I never knew you. My fear is that there's going to be many of us on that day that will bring our resume before Jesus and say, well, I went to church, read my Bible, I led my family at least, I think I did. Well, I did good things, I did good deeds. I wasn't as bad as my neighbors. And we'll think our resume in and of itself will be enough to bring us through those those doors. But neither your words nor your deeds will save you. Neither your words or deeds in that day will save you, will be enough to save you. So what will save you? What does he say? It's really believing in Jesus. Like true, real, saving faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. It's not about your resume or the words that you confess. The question you have to ask yourself is, is really this. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I truly have a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus said it like this in John 10, 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own sheep and they know me. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? I want us to just take a few moments and I want us to just kind of process what Jesus is saying in these verses. So maybe for just a moment, you just close your eyes. You're not distracted by, by anything else. And I, I, want you to just, I want you to just think through what we're talking about right now. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Are, are you known by Jesus? Like, do you really know him? Not know about Jesus. Not know information, because there's many people who knew information. The Pharisees were a great example. They knew more information than anybody else knew. Yet they had no transformation in their lives, because information alone does not lead to transformation. Do you actually know Jesus? Do you really believe in Jesus? You know, to believe in Jesus is so much more than just a mental exercise. It starts with believing the right things. It's important that you believe the right things to be true. Do you believe that Jesus is God in flesh? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, which which were deserving of eternal punishment and separation from God? Do you believe that the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross is the only payment for your sins? That he is the one and only gate for you to enter God's kingdom. That there's nothing else that you can do other than enter through him. Do you believe those things to be true? And hopefully the answer for that is every single one of you would say yes. But simply believing these facts about Jesus, that's only part of the equation because biblical belief is not just about believing something to be true. It's actually trusting and relying on those facts. And actually, like actually trusting and relying on those facts to be true. Not just as facts, but as truth in your life for you. I heard somebody explain it like this and I think it's always a kind of good illustration. Imagine like a really, really shaky looking bridge over a a deep cavern. 
don't know about you, but I am not a big fan of heights. Like, not at all. Like, a 10-foot ladder is high enough for me. I get real shaky. My, my knees wobble. So if, if I'm ever at a place where there's, like, a cliff, I'm staying as far away from that edge as possible. I'll see it from the distance. That's enough for me. I'm not a big fan of heights at all. Maybe you're like that as well. I saw this video a while back. I don't even know where it was. I think it might have been in China. But there was, like, this, this bridge. All, it was, like, this little pathway along the side of a cliff. And it was made out of glass. So you could see straight through it. But it wasn't just normal glass. It was like interactive glass. So like when you would start walking on it, it, it could look like it was starting to crack. So people would get on this and they didn't know it was like interactive and they would start seeing it and they would be like, oh, this is great, this is great. And then it started to crack. And they were like, it's not great anymore, right? <laughs> like run away from it. What we think sometimes is, is faith and true belief is, okay, I believe that 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 glass bridge, I believe that it can hold me. I believe that, that the people who made it knew what they were doing, that they went through some, you know, some safety codes and they followed the rules and they did all the right things to make this bridge. I believe that it could, it could hold me and I could walk across it. And some of us, that's the way that we look at believing in Jesus. I believe those things to be true. But, but real biblical faith isn't just believing those things to be true. Real biblical faith is walking out onto it not with a parachute on your back just in case, right? But it's walking out onto it, fully understanding that I'm putting my life, I'm putting my all, I'm trusting this. I'm trusting that this will carry me. I'm trusting that this path is the path that, that can to carry me. I'm trusting it with my life. And that's what believing Jesus really is. It's not about just knowing a bunch of facts and believing them to be true. It's actually believing them to be true for you. Yes, I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And there's not any point that I'm gonna get past my need for Jesus to be the, the gate that I enter through. It's not like I'm gonna follow Jesus for a while and then all of a sudden I'm gonna get it figured out. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, you were the way in, but now I got this on my own. No, there's no time that we get past our, our need for Jesus. There's no time that we stop needing his forgiveness. There's no time that we get to a place where we tip the scales in our favor and we all of a sudden, okay, I got this Jesus from here. No, no, no. We continually need Jesus in our lives. We continually trust in him. We continually rely on him. We continue to put our faith in him and believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life and that there is no way for us to get to God except through him. Do you believe that to be true in your life? Are you relying on Jesus to be that gate that you walk through? Are you relying on Jesus to be the one who continues to produce the right fruit through your life? Are you relying on the one that started the good work in you, that he is faithful to complete it? That he didn't just save you and go, okay, figure it out on your own. He saved you and he not only said that, but he said, I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna walk with you through this life. I'm gonna teach you and guide you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he walks with us. He carries it with us. He doesn't leave us alone to figure it out. He guides us. So as we close this morning in worship, I want to I give you just a moment to respond to what Jesus is talking about. See, when I look at these portions of scripture, I see that it's really easy for us at times to be deceived. When you look at the first part, you see that there's often times that the world is what deceives us. Where we get deceived by by the pleasures of this world. When you read the, the parable of Jesus and the sower in the seeds, talks about the seeds that fall on a certain path and they start growing, but then the cares of this world, the pleasures of this world, they, they choke them out. Listen, the pleasures of this world can be very tempting. If sin was not fun, 
there'd be no reason to live in sin. What ends up happening is we live short-sighted lives and we get deceived by the cares and the pleasures of this world and we get wrapped up with the things of this world and we forget that we are not just temporary people. We are souls that will live forever and that this life is small compared to eternity. And we live so focused on how we can enjoy this life and this little, this little mist that we call life. How can I live that to the fullest with no regards to how we can experience eternity to the fullest? And there's two roads and one will lead you to heaven and one will lead you to hell for eternity. And Jesus is clear because he doesn't want you to get to the point where you stand before God someday and you go, well, I said, Lord, I said a prayer at some point. I did good deeds, at least deeds that were better than other people. Why am I not in? Because I never knew you. So don't be deceived by the world. He says, also don't be deceived by false teachers who preach anything other than the gospel, who preach in your good works, who tell you that, 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 that yeah, the Bible's outdated. Those things that the Bible used to talk about with sin, that's not for today. That's, we have, that's, not, that's not what today is. You can live how you want and you can be however you want. You can choose your truth and speak your truth and all this other nonsense that we hear in our world and it doesn't really matter. That's not true. And if you ever hear somebody from our pulpit preach that, please leave and find a church that preaches the gospel because it's easy to be deceived not only by the world, but by false teachers. And then the last one is there's times that we're deceived by ourselves. That's the scariest because that's the hardest one to see. When we think that our, simply our words or a prayer that we prayed one time at summer camp one, you know, 40 years ago, or we think that our resume or whatever else it is, that those are the things that are gonna get us into heaven. We live our lives thinking, okay, I'm in. I, I went to church 1.5 times like the American Christian goes to church a month. We prayed before bedtime and we did all these things and we did good works and gave a little bit of money here and there. And wasn't as much of a jerk as my neighbor. All these different things. And he says, it's, it's easy if we're not careful to, to deceive ourselves. So that's why we have to examine our hearts. And so what I wanna ask you today, just close your eyes for just a moment, is are you, are you truly a follower of Jesus? Not do you go to church, not do you go through the motions, but if you were to die and stand before Jesus today, where he were to ask you, why, why do I let you in? Would you say, well, I prayed a prayer one time. I'm pretty sure I repeated it correctly. I did good works. Look at me. Or would we stand before Jesus and go, there's no reason you should let me in but I'm trusting that you will let me in because you see Jesus and not me. That's what it means to put our faith in Jesus, that we never stop relying on him. And so if you're here today, I, I just wanna give you this opportunity. Maybe you've, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You're chasing after all the things that the world says will give you pleasure and it leaves you empty. You just move from one thing to the next, thinking it's gonna fill that void in your life and it never gives you what you're looking for. It overpromises and constantly undelivers and you keep telling yourself, it's just gonna be the next thing and that next thing will make me happy and it never makes you happy, why? Because there is a void that only God can fill. And there's only one path to that. And it's entering through Jesus and it's not easy and it's not the road that is more traveled, but the reward at the end of it is life. We experience God's life and his blessing here on earth. We experience his life and his blessing for eternity. And if that's you today and you don't know Jesus and you say, today I wanna to surrender my life to Jesus, 
I want to receive his forgiveness for my sins. I want to give my life to him. I want him to be the Lord, the CEO, the boss. Jesus, take the wheel of my life. If that is you today, would you raise your hand as we close? I want to pray with you as we're closed. I'm just going to look around for just a second. See those hands right there? A couple other hands right there. Listen, I want to encourage you to do something before you leave today because there's many of you that raised your hands right now. I want to encourage you, and we don't say this all the time, but there's a card in that seat in front of you. If you've never filled that out, we want to get some resources to you. We want to help you as you walk this walk as a follower of Christ. So let us know that you're making that decision today. And when I pray today in these next minutes when we pray, I'm not going to have you repeat anything after me. I want you to just talk to God. Say, I don't know what to say. That's okay. Just as a child speaks to his father, and sometimes it's gibberish, and nobody else might understand what the words are, but a father knows what the child is saying. Just speak to God. Ask him to forgive you for your sins. Repent and turn from the way that you've lived your life. Trust him. And know that you, the Bible says when you do that and you truly believe in him, you walk out as a new creation. That the old you is dead and gone. That you don't ever have to go back to that, that slavery, that bondage to sin again. For the rest of us who are in here who would say that you're followers of Christ, let me ask you. Are you truly following Jesus? Not have you bought into the American version of Christianity, but have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you truly trusting him? Are you continuing to trust him? Are you living for his purpose? Are you producing the right fruit? Examine your heart, examine your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in your life that is not as it should be, and then do something with it. Surrender it to him today. We don't have to do this, but I'm going to do this this morning. If any of our prayer, I didn't even prepare you guys for this. Any of our prayer team people that are here, I'm going to have you guys come up. And if there's anybody in here who's going through stuff and you need prayer today, we're a church that prays for each other. So we'll allow our prayer team people to kind of go off to the sides here. And if, and if you need prayer, if there's something going on in your life and you just want somebody to talk to, I want to encourage you to come up and pray with them. Allow them to pray with you. Allow them to speak life into you. I don't care what it is. Don't be pride. Don't let your pride keep you from receiving what God wants you to receive today. So Father, today we thank you. We thank you for your word. Even when your words are not easy, even when your words are challenging, even when they cause us to do a double take and to actually reflect in our lives, God. To me, what would be much worse is to go through life thinking that our resume and saying a prayer is gonna get us in, but never actually having put our faith in you, never truly trusting you, never believing in you. So God, I'd rather us be comfortable on this side, uncomfortable on this side of eternity so that we could be comfortable for all of eternity and glory with you, than to be comfortable here and to be in torture separated from you forever, forever. So God, I pray that you would reveal anything in our hearts. I thank you for those who, who raise their hands, who at this moment right now, are surrendering their lives to you, are trusting you for the forgiveness of their sins, are receiving your forgiveness, that your word says that they are a new creation. Not that they feel like a new creation, God. Lord, I pray that they would not listen to the voice of the enemy that tells them that what they're doing is not real, that speaks lies, that tells them they will never change, but God, they would understand and believe who you say they are. That you wouldn't just be the Lord, but you would be their Lord, their Savior. God, I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, what you're going to continue to do in our lives. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.